Hi, my name is Melissa Davis. I'm VP of Clinical Operations at Nines Radiology. I'm really excited about this conversation that we're about to have today about how to report in radiology, how this creates better practices and increased efficiency as well. We have Dr. Kurt Langlotz with us. He's the world's leading expert in the radiology template, has done a lot of background in how we've come and evolved as radiologists in our reporting structures. Kurt, really excited to have you here. Hi, Melissa. It's such a pleasure to be here with you today, talking about one of my favorite topics, the radiology report. So I am a radiologist at Stanford and uh, have a background in AI and director of the Center for Artificial Intelligence and Medicine and Imaging at Stanford. So Kurt, I just finished reading your book. It was really the most exciting book I've ever read on report templates. And I think that's a pretty hard task to do. One of the questions that I had for you was, what did you enjoy about writing this book? Yeah, well, it was a pleasure to write the book. I think the thing that I enjoyed the most was the history. I really enjoyed going back into the past and hearing about researchers like Preston Hickey from the 1920s who had identified the same problems that we see today in our radiology reports. And there's a really fun section from William Morton, who popularized x-rays in the United States and New York Times coverage of his demonstration of x-rays and taking x-rays of a woman's foot or a fish or all all the other demonstrations that they had in, in New York in the early days. And then a lot about the earliest reports, which are really not that different than the reports that we are thinking of providing today. So it's a book that I I really thought someone else was going to write at some point, but ultimately I, I felt like we really needed a resource for residents and for other radiologists where all the best information about the radiology report could be collected in one place. In the end, it was a really fun process. One of the things that actually struck me when I was reading your book was that these early reports are very similar to what we're trying to basically recreate today. And my biggest question was, why didn't that type of reporting kind of take off then? And what's different about today that may make it more of something that we should be striving towards? Yeah. So early on, if you look back at the earliest reports, you have people who had very good structure. So for example, for a fluoroscopy study, it might have blanks to fill in for each of the organs and what you might say about it. And even have a schematic diagram where you can indicate in the lungs or in the GI tract where the problem areas are, where the abnormality is. I think the thing that got us away from that was with the advent of transcription and the dictaphone and the ability to just talk very quickly and describe what you're seeing, that became more efficient than filling out these paper forms. But now I think we're getting back to the the fact that for better communication, we really do need to think about how we organize the information in the report what's going to be efficient for the reader of the report, not just the producer of the report. So I think it really has been the need for radiologists and the desire to be faster and faster in the work that we do, and the fact that dictation is much faster for the radiologists. But I think now we're seeing technologies like structured reporting, like AI, that are going to make it possible to be both efficient and to provide this good, well-organized report to referring clinicians. Yeah, I think that's a great point. The technologies are evolving. And one of the things that I always think about, there's really like one really main dictation software in the radiology world. A lot of us use Nuance. I believe that, you know, Immodal is something that's also gaining some footwork. But 
you don't really hear about many other types of dictation softwares. And it really doesn't look like it's changed, at least since I've been training over the last 10 years. And do you think that, you know, now we're poised to actually see some more leaps and bounds? Or do you think it's going to take another 10, 20 years for us to see this evolve? I think we're at a turning point. I do. I agree with you at the current state of the world and radiology reporting and that there really are only a small number of companies that supply dictation software to the vast majority of radiologists. And those companies have made a lot of progress, too. So they're really innovating in their products. But I wonder whether with the advent of the cloud and cloud-based speech recognition and cloud-based PACs, all of these technologies coming together with AI as well, that there's an opportunity for some innovator to come up with a more of a unified platform that would incorporate both AI assistance, the interpretation process so that you're looking and pointing at the images and using that process to actually create the report more automatically so that it becomes more of a seamless interpretation reporting process that's integrated rather than thinking about really separate systems for displaying the images and for creating the report. So I think those kinds of things may be coming. The technologies to make those possible are just now becoming available, as I said. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. I know that you were a part of building the RSNA templates, kind of drove that. One of the things that you point out in your book is the difficulty with using open source templates is that when you try to, it's, it's hard to put them into your own personal dictation software because like the baseline platform is very different on how templates are structured for every piece of software that you use. Have you seen that change since you've written the book? Yeah, I think there's been a lot of progress there. So there's a standard, it's called MRRT, but it's, it's essentially it's a standard way to represent templates. And so many of the major vendors now have signed on to that. So Nuance and Modal, for example. So if you, you have a template that's uh, in the RSNA template library, it's now easier for you to upload that to your dictation software. And it's easier if you have templates in your dictation software and you're at a practice in one area and you want to move to a different practice to actually bring your templates with you using standards. So more and more, these are supported. It's still a little bit clunky. It's not as seamless as we would want it to be, but at least the vendors have now signed on to that. And we're starting to see processes that allow those kinds of transfers to take place. So that's encouraging. Yeah. I mean, we've built a slate of templates here at Nines. I was really the person that helped like bring those templates into fruition. We know that they're going to need to get iterated upon over and over again, and just so that we can make them better and better and better. And that idea of being able to transfer templates from one place to another is something that's been on the front of my mind as I think about like where my next step is and, and how you can actually get those templates into another facility. I know we've worked with a couple of facilities trying to upload our nines templates. And one of the barriers is that it has to go through you know, a lead administrator that has to download the templates into the system and then show them to you and then re-edit them. And what do you think about that process? Yeah, like I say, it's pretty clunky still. And I, you know, it's interesting. I think a lot of the, the issues with templates today, some of them are technical and the current uh, reporting software out there isn't as capable as we would like to represent some of the more sophisticated features we'd like to see in templates. But I think we're getting there. The issues are more about people than about technology. So one of the things that I found when we changed the dictation system, this is what at my prior institution, we said, well, we're going to migrate all of our templates. How many templates do we have? We had, I think, 40,000 templates. And they were all maybe often minor copies of someone else's, like, oh, I'm going to take his and change it a little bit. 
And so some of it relates to, I think, governance, like to have a clear decision-making process and to make sure that if you have a division of people who are all reporting the same kinds of studies, I think it's important for the clinicians to get a similar kind of format or else the formatting really isn't helpful to them if they get it different each time. So you want to have some processes around that and say, well, let's make sure as a chest radiology, the rest division, that we report all of our chest CTs in a similar manner so that the templates don't proliferate. And that's often hard. Those issues can be challenging because people, and it's a very personal process reporting and everyone has their own ways. And so, again, it's, it's about a good decision-making process and getting people all on the same page as to how, what, what do we think is the best way to format a particular report. The other issue that comes up is complexity, right? So you can make these templates, and we, we made this mistake, I think, with the RSA templates in the first iteration, is that they're, they're so ornate and complex, they're almost impossible for someone to learn how to use it. It's almost like a piece of software, right? And you have all of these bells and whistles, but sometimes simplicity is really better. So you have to strike those balances between complexity, simplicity, and kind of reaching a consensus versus not being too too anodyne, too rigid in how you structure the templates. One of the pearls I actually got in your book was part of the issue with templates has been especially like with the old templates where I think you were describing how, you know, everything with drop down boxes and click fields and it really lost kind of the the clinical nuance for a lot of that. And in thinking that, you know, maybe what our future template looks like is somewhere like a hybrid between like drop downs for certain things, but then free text for other things in a structured way. How's your thinking evolved on that? I think you're right. I think it's the 80-20 rule, right? There always are going to be those cases. I, I make the analogy of the pilot in the cockpit, right? So we're we're very glad to have that the pilot has a checklist to make sure that the plane is properly configured for takeoff and all of that so that, you know, you don't make the mistakes on the repetitive routine work that we know we want to do the same way each time. But on the other hand, if the plane is in a certain place and, I don't know, maybe there's a storm or there's something atypical that's happening, you want the pilot to be able to turn off the autopilot and fly the plane. And I think the same is true for radiology, that you want to have those templates for the cases that are routine or usual, the usual business that we have. And that's often the vast majority of the things that we do. And then when you have that 20% where it's something unusual, yes, please go ahead and uh, dictate in whatever way it best expresses the findings in that case. I think that's the, the best approach is, is to, to have that hybrid. of and, and even when you're using a template, you often want to have an impression or something part of the report where you have some narrative that maybe integrates the various findings that you've described in the, the slots in the template. Yeah. If you could say, what are the top three things that a perfect template would have, what would they be? Let me generalize the question. Say, What do I think a good report would have generally? I always talk about clarity. So the book talks about short declarative sentences and that the report is fundamentally about communication. So we want to use very clear words. And even though there's a tendency to be Hemingway or Faulkner or something like that in our report and have this flowing prose, really just short declarative sentences that might be a little bit boring. If you were in English class, you might get graded down for that. That actually is a very good way to communicate information, which is fundamentally the, the purpose. And then the other is concise. So your reader is in a hurry. So that if there's a lot of extraneous information that's going to distract from the thing that is really important that needs to be conveyed by that report. So you want to have clarity, uh, concise report. And then I would say, you know, maybe secondarily, consistency. So a kind of a consistent terminology. So something like BIRADS in the breast is good because 
it's not just that it's clear and concise, but it's the same terms used throughout every report. And everyone, there's a mutual understanding between the, the person interpreting the mammogram and the person reading the report as to exactly what a BIRADS 3 lesion means and what's to be done about it. So I think those are really important. The three Cs, clear, concise, and consistent, are important attributes. That's great. Before we started our conversation, I asked myself the same question. And so I wrote down like three things I think are the best. What were yours? Standardization of language, which you just said. Brevity to the point, which you also said. And then answer the clinical question, like directly answer the clinical question. (laughs) That's a good one. And it's amazing how often that does not happen. There's a lot of good research to show that we often don't. It's surprising. So I like your list. That's a great one. The other one I guess you could add in there is just accuracy. I guess it goes without saying, and we're talking more about the format of the report, but having just good information in there is obviously an important thing for any radiologist. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that I've noticed that we're moving towards is patient access to their clinical information, to their electronic health records. There are a lot of facilities really debating, like, how do we release our radiology reports to the patients? And, and what does that mean? One of the things that I've been thinking about is, do we actually want the report that we send to the clinician to look like the report that we send to the patient? So do you think that there should be two different reports? Or do you think that we should be combing all the like the report language down so that it's actually interpretable to the general public as opposed to just a clinician, which is what that communication is typically for? Melissa, that is a great question. And I, I know both at Stanford and at my prior institution, we went through the process of giving patients access to their radiology reports. And there's no question that there are things that radiologists will need to change about their reports because that is occurring. I know that patients will have a higher standard for their reports, even than referring clinicians do. So for example, if you had a patient who had an abnormal CT and the report said the gallbladder is normal and the patient knows they've had their gallbladder out, they might think that that CT was from some other patient and that some mistake had been made, whereas I think the referring clinician would recognize, oh, that's probably a template error and just ignore it. So, and there are other issues like just uh, judgmental language we might use, like saying the patient was uncooperative when we might say the patient was unable to cooperate because of their illness or some other reason that I think would be more compassionate and more true. So I think no question, radiologists need to consider those factors and will need to modify their reporting practices in some ways because patients will be seeing those reports. On the other hand, I don't think that radiologists have time to produce two reports. It's just too time-consuming. We do a little of that in mammography with the mammography letter, which is, I think is a good thing to, to notify the patient. But ultimately, I think that we'll, we'll want to focus on that single report. And I think patients view that report much as they would view a document like a mortgage or some other legal document where They don't want to have a dumbed-down version for them. They want to see the full document and then have a chance to consult a lawyer or an expert about any questions that they might have. And I think they view their their radiology reports and the rest of their medical record in that way, too, that it's really something that they should have access to. So I think the real question is, how can we make the radiology report that we produce more accessible and understanding to patients? And there's some really nice work going on in that area using some natural language processing methods to for example, hyperlink the report. So find terms that might be difficult for a patient to understand and put a web link on it so they can click on it and get to a a good source that'll give them the definition of that term and a little more context around it. So they know that diffuse idiopathic skeletal hyperostosis isn't some terrible condition and it's just something that 
that they, they don't need to pay too much attention to. So I think that these are really interesting issues that are that are coming up and, and that we will see and are seeing changes in the way that we report because patients have access to their radiology reports and to the rest of their medical records increasingly. Awesome. Yeah, I love that analogy of the re- the report is similar to a legal document. A lot of people tend to think that the report is similar to a lab value, but there's actually a lot more complexity that goes into it and a lot of, you know, interpretational error that could happen based on the language that we use. So that's a, a great analogy. And the other issue that comes up there is one of delayed release. So I was just on Twitter, I think just last night, a patient who was upset because they were on hold and they were being told that they could not see their radiology report. They were waiting for some results and they were the, the health facility was telling them, oh, I can't release that to you. And I'm sure it was because their referring physician had not yet seen it. And so there, at least where I have been, I think most places that do that build in a delay time to allow for the referring physician to look at it and to make sure that if there's some information in there that would require some explanation, the worst case would be a patient, let's say, who has a new cancer or a cancer that's recurred, and you want to have a compassionate conversation about that new information, you don't want that patient to get that alone at night on a Friday evening where there's no one to really talk to about it. So those delays are important for compassionate release of information, but at the same time, then that leads to delays for others. So where to strike that balance, I think, is a really important question that comes up when you have these release programs. Yeah, I think that's such an important point. The last project that I did coming out of my last institution was implementing technology that the patients would be able to see their information as when they're, when they're inpatient as real time as possible. And when to release the reports for radiology was a big, big sticking issue in that project. So I'm curious now, did you find that there was resistance to doing that from any quarters? And then once you implemented it, did the bad scenarios end up coming to pass or was it much better than people expected? You know, so we had a patient family advisory group on this project with us. So we were able to get perspectives from everybody. And generally it was, you know, nursing and clinicians who really wanted to hold those reports. So we know what we're walking into the room with, like what the patient has said. And usually the patients, it was almost like a 50-50 split. You know, I want to get it as soon as possible, or I do want to wait. And generally it depended on like what the pathology was. You know, if it's a cancer patient, then you're like, yeah, I do want to wait until my clinician can review it with me. If it's just routine imaging, then I want to get it as soon as possible so that I can actually read the report and then ask my clinician questions that are intelligent when I'm in the room, as opposed to like digesting information instead. And did you find that there was also resistance says, I'm worried this is going to generate a lot of questions. It's going to be nonstop. What do, how are we going to handle all this new interaction we have to have? And did that come to pass? Yeah. So, you know, we had already done the release on the outpatient side and it hadn't come to pass. You know, they read their reports. They probably asked some better questions when they had questions. They were very valid questions, but it didn't like create that onslaught that people were worried about. And then, of course, you can imagine it also reduces some of the at least for outpatients, fewer phone calls to say, what is my result, right? If they can just go and check it on their own. So there's a a plus side to that too. Yeah, and the positive to that as well is that, especially when you release the report and put the radiologist's contact information on there, the patient can actually just contact the radiologist and ask those questions. And I think that that creates better informational understanding of what they actually wrote. Absolutely. 
Okay, so Kurt, how do you think that reports are going to be generated in the future, given the new AI technologies that are coming out these days? Yeah, there are a lot of great opportunities there. We just finished a a randomized trial at Stanford and seven or eight other institutions of an AI algorithm that calculates bone age, skeletal maturity. And what the algorithm does is it accepts the images of those studies. It then processes them and estimates the bone age and then pre-fills the bone age in a field in the report template. And that's just one very small example of how I think AI can help us. So there will be more and more AI will be taking on some of the tasks that we find just repetitive. So measuring things, measuring lesions, tracking them over time. You can imagine a pre-aortic stent graft study, lots of measurements need to be made. You could have those done automatically in pre-populated template, and that would save us some time. So the theme here is, is time saving. And I think as we get further and further in to the AI revolution in radiology, we'll see more constellations of algorithms. So a lot of the, and it's just partly because I think the FDA process as well, we see one algorithm here or there that's detecting one or two or three things on a given study. But when you start to see AI algorithms that can detect many things at the same time, you could imagine, at least for some instances of a study, let's say an ICU chest radiograph or a PET-CT study, for it to detect everything that's going on with that study and even generate some text and operate almost like an e-resident or a trainee that would have a, a draft of the report waiting for us. It's something that we love in academics, right? We have residents and they, they do a lot of that work and it really helps with our productivity, but a lot of the radiology world doesn't have that. And so that you can imagine AI in part serving that function with certain kinds of studies. I think that would be a real, a real help. It would improve our productivity and it's something that I think over time AI will be able to do. I wanted to ask you, you know, you've done a lot of work with nines on the templates and really building trust between the radiologists and referring clinicians, EV docs and others. What factors do you think build trust between radiologists and clinicians as we design our templates? Yeah, I think that's a great question because I think it's, it's actually twofold. There's information that we get from the clinicians and the information that we actually pass to the clinicians. And like for the first piece of that, you know, the information that we get from the clinicians, I think inherently there's a lot of distrust in the information that we're getting for reasons for examinations. Like, why are we imaging this patient? Especially I work mostly in the emergency room. So the emergency room is a crazy, crazy chaotic place. People are busy. So we've built in structures to make us more efficient. And I think some of those structures have broken down communication patterns so, you know, if an ED clinician, I need to get a chest x-ray, it comes over to the radiologist at the SOB. But maybe I'm actually thinking that that patient has congestive heart failure, or I think that patient may have TB, or I think that patient may have some sort of other respiratory disease, that information didn't actually pass over to me because of like the pace that we're actually doing our work. And so I think, you know, there's a piece of this and how can we actually build out an infrastructure that is efficient for the ordering clinician but also gives the radiologist the information that they need in order to pass along the right diagnostic conclusion back to them. So that's the first side of this that I always look at. The second side is like, how do we actually relate information to the clinician? We were talking about this a little bit earlier, like the three components of an ideal template is, and all of that comes out actually in our impression. You know, is it brief? Are we answering the question is probably like the biggest thing that we have to get towards 
Because if we're not doing those things, then, then the trust that the clinician has in us actually tends to break down. So I think that it's really like that two-way street that we have to figure out how to optimize. And a lot of that actually happens outside of the template. So Yeah, it's, you know, there are a lot of good discussions about, well, radiologists need better history. And then when we go to the clinicians, they say, but that's already in the medical record, but it's often buried somewhere. And so I think that that's another role for AI potentially is how can we easily summarize what's already there in a radiology relevant way so that we we know more as much about that patient as we need to know to interpret the image. And I think that you say there there's definitely a need, and I mentioned this in the book in multiple places, that just sometimes having good agreement and communication between the people ordering and the people reading them leads to that kind of great communication. And often the area where that can be most useful, just agreeing on consistent terminology for recommendations, like a modality and a time frame, and what that really means so that everyone agrees that this is what the, the radiologist thinks is the best approach and that the clinician can act on that if, if it's clinically important to do so or uh, based on everything else going on with that patient. So I agree with you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to thank you for taking time to have this conversation with me. I think that you are kind of the forerunner in how we should be doing templating in radiology and how we should be communicating to our clinicians. I think that the work that you all are doing, especially at Stanford, is going to enhance the way that we as radiology interact with the healthcare world in the future. So thank you for taking that time. Melissa, thank you. It's, it's really been a pleasure being with you today. And I just want to congratulate you also on the work that you're doing at NINES to think about and build this future where AI is an integral part of the radiology interpretation and reporting process. I think that's really an exciting future. So thanks for having me. Thank you. And the book is The Radiology Report, A Guide to Thoughtful Communication for Radiologists and Other Medical Professionals. This is by Dr. Curtis Langwatz. And if you want to see where you can get this book, please go to nines.com and we can direct you to access. 